Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. It's a Linux Action Show special event, part two of our trip to Dell, and this week we want to share some of the great stories, Linux memories, and impressive hardware, like high-performance computing. Running along the center of many of the buildings we visited was networking, power, and all kinds of infrastructure for what Dell calls its labs, but I call them mini data centers. One of the coolest that we got to see was Dell's high-performance computing lab, also known as HPC, and it's ranked as one of the fastest top 500 supercomputers in the world. Right now is our Zenet system, it's our largest HPC system in the lab. Uh, today we have 384 nodes in place. Very soon uh, the system is going to grow over 512 nodes. Uh, it's at number 372 on top 500 list right now. This team creates white papers and helps their customers build all kinds of interesting workloads, including some that could improve lives. This data center is much larger than I think could probably show up on camera because it also goes quite a ways the other direction. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very it's very large and you were showing us around and one of the things you you mentioned to us was that uh, uh, for example a workload that can be greatly improved with high-performance computing is customized cancer treatment can you expand on that a little bit sure sure so um, HPC is a, a field where you know you can have many different applications HPC is not just one application uh, you know, there are many use cases for HPC in energy, for example, oil and gas, seismic processing or reservoir simulation. There are many applications in the life sciences area. One of the emerging areas has been genomics, being yeah. able to analyze DNA and coming up with customized, customized treatment options to yeah. treat certain diseases. And of course, I asked if they mined Bitcoin. Let's just say that they said no. On the other end of the spectrum, you have the Modular Data Center, or MDC as they call it. It's like the whole data center in a crate idea, but turned up to 11 with their own spin on it. They're super proud of their own secret sauce built into this thing. In fact, so proud, they're a little conflicted about our cameras. I'm told that there is super confidential stuff. They call it IP. That's corporate speak for intellectual property. And uh, they don't want us shooting the inside. So I'll just go inside and tell you about it. But we can shoot the outside of it. This what? is a modular data center. The modular data center. The future of the data center, potentially. You can buy one of these and put it in your backyard. Yeah, this is a product. This thing right here, that's a product. I'm going inside that. I can't take you, but I'll tell you how cool it was. Inside, it was packed with gear. Big GPU compute boxes, monster networking, data storage, blade servers, and more. It's a data center on demand, if you can afford it. And while I couldn't get them to spill the beans, I can tell you they're very proud of the cooling technology, including the ability, in some configurations, to cool it with fresh air. Wow! We do have customers... That was, that was awesome. That was, uh, I can't, I can't describe how cool that was as somebody used to work in tasters. <laughs> my hair's a little messed up. But, uh, that, if you can afford it, you should get yourself one of those. That's, that is, that is an amazing amount of compute in a small space. And I can't even imagine, you're able to control so many more of the variables. It's it's really neat. So that what do you call it? Just the uh, Dell's Modular Data Center. Dell's Modular Data Center. Get one. Get one for your home. I'm going to chronicle the entire adventure behind the scenes, walking around at Dell, even driving down there at JupiterBroadcasting.com/rover. But I wanted to give you a little bit of flavor. They let me park and camp in their corporate parking lot. 
they let me park my RV in their corporate parking lot. And that let me observe Dell in a way that I don't normally get to see. 24 hours a day as people came and people left. I got some unique insights and I got a ton of work done. And one of the things that really resonated with me, especially after talking with Peter from their server team, is they have a religion at Dell. And that's work upstream. The idea basically is customers are using uh, uh, operating system update tools, Red Hat Package Manager, yeah. Ubuntu Landscape, et cetera, right? And, and they prefer as much consistency as possible from a process change management perspective. Mm -hmm. um, in order to help them do that, what we've done is we've, uh, Matt Domsch developed a set of tools called Firmware, uh, called, uh, firmware Tools. <laughs> and basically what that does is it takes the uh, Windows executable updates for the firmware, strips the, binary, the Windows binary off, and repackages it at RPM. Um, we have kernel modules that are actually present in, all, in the upstream kernel that enable you to take that RPM package and apply a BIOS update, and then we, pack, and then we publish them in a, in a repository. Mm -hmm. So the basic idea is using the same Red Hat Package Manager tools, same Ubuntu tools, same CentOS tools, whatever you're using, mm -hmm. you can now basically pull BIOS updates, and not just the BIOS, but firmware for the RAID controller, the NICs, the so hard drives, awesome. right the back through planes, package right through the package manager. Yeah. With an update process that you're already, uh, you're, that you're already going through all of those things uh, you know are going to be standardized for your customers that's exactly right and and even better than that it hand because Linux has a robust dependency framework for sorting out interlocks dependencies all those types of things so you know for example if there's a uh, system bias update that or, or a perk update that requires a system bias update you can build that dependency in the right. code and therefore all of that gets resolved using Linux native update framework so it's exactly what the customer wants one tool set that mm -hmm. they've already defined uh, that you can use for doing OS updates as well as hardware bias updates, yeah. firmware updates, and then of course the utilities. Looking back at all of my conversations while I was down in Austin at Dell, chatting with John Terpstra has to be one of the highlights. Welcome to the John, Ac the John Action Show. <laughs> and uh, this hour, John will be joining us. Now, John came in to talk about OpenStack, but he and I started reminiscing about days gone by. SCO, United Linux, and even Turbo Linux. Turbo Linux was um, initially uh, built from a whole range of bits and pieces, uh, mostly uh, based on, um, uh, on, on a Red Hat base. I, I vaguely remember, yeah. yeah. But then in 1999, um, we decided to start from a clean base. The clean base we began with was Red Hat 5.0, and um, we substantially modified that and changed what packages we included and how we built it and um, set out to build a clean distribution that had very little in the way of background errors. Mm. Um, one of the, the key challenges of the early Linux um, builds was that um, the, um, the building of the standard C library, glibc, mm -hmm. Uh, would leave behind um, symbolic um, references oh. to the libraries on the system it was built on. Mm -hmm. So you would end up with some runtime uh, dynamic linker errors. If you turn the error reporting up high enough, right, you'd, you'd see, see them in the logs. <laughs> yeah, there's some really interesting work done in the early days. But in any case, I worked with Turbo Linux, and then in uh, late 2000, I uh, switched across to uh, Caldera as uh, VP of Technology. Oh, really? I uh, was um, 
involved in, the, in supervising the acquisition of the SCO Unix Systems Group into Caldera. But uh, all through that, an initiative was born to create a uh, unified standard business Linux uh, that was going to be called Common Business Linux, but when the mm. discussion started, we had uh, Mandrake Soft involved, um, uh, Connectiva in Brazil, Turbo Linux in Japan, Caldera in the US, and SUSE in Germany. Uh, Mandrake Soft ended up pulling up, but... Um, but didn't uh, they launch a product? called United Linux yes. was the initiative. Right. Uh, and the purpose of that was to build a platform that had a standard Unix, mm -hmm. as a standard uh, Linux kernel right. build, standard um, set of header files and uh, compiler tool chain configuration, standard, uh, standard everything. And each of the participants in that would would brand it their own way, so that would be there would be minimalistic branding. Uh, ultimately, the engineering team for that was based inside SUSE, mm. but then um, some legal action happened. Um, uh, Caldera, who had meantime rena uh, renamed themselves as the SCO group mm -hmm. uh, started to take <laughs> <laughs> yes the wound still stings <laughs> uh, started to do some very nasty things yes that was a huge topic on our it was a it was one of our main stories for many years well one can still go to groklaw.net and get a good background on yeah. that yeah. and um, that kind of d destroyed the United Linux initiative right. But all of that uh, technology rolled up under SUSE Enterprise Linux today, and that's a, a pretty good platform overall. You know, like you know, like interesting. Like Red Hat, Red Hat has um, has has done superb work. Each of these companies have done mm -hmm. superb work in their own right. Do you feel like, in some ways, the different distributions are, in some sense, more unified? I mean, we don't have necessarily all of the things that United Linux had, but things are getting more common, more the same. I mean, it seems to me like there's less differences between Linux distributions now than there were, say, back during United Linux initiative. You know, Linux is Linux is Linux is Linux. Yeah. And so long as the Linux distribution complies with the Linux standard base uh, specification, uh, people aren't even conscious of that today. But yes, right. th th that was a unifying force, yep. a very important one. Mm -hmm. And uh, Linux across the board is a very stable, uh, business-ready platform. It's become very ubiquitous. And if there is a tragedy or a sadness in, in any area, it's that we don't hear so much of Linux today simply because it is everywhere. Yeah. It's in the smallest devices, mm -hmm. even watches. Yeah. It was clear to us that Dell is all in on Linux, from IoT to the enterprise. But their most famous Linux efforts in our crowd is Project Sputnik which has started seeing some real success. In the last two years, we've had 100% uh, growth year over year. And I asked Martin George, what was the tipping point that finally resulted in shipping a product? And they came back with pretty simple stuff. They want vanilla Ubuntu, yeah. back then eight gigs of RAM. Yeah. They did not want Linux, uh, sorry, Windows preloaded. Um, they wanted it less expensive than Windows. These are all sort of common sense things, but this alone was what they were looking for. And then when we did launch it with my blog, I thought we'll get some interest from developers. And it was absolutely crazy. I think we got like 9,000 views the first day, um, wow. 15,000, 20,000. And just to give you an idea, I think at that point, I have a chart that shows views before that were about 120, 60, 70. And so it just 
oh. it went like that. And so I think it showed that there was a crowd out there who were, who were starved for something like this. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the real tipping point came when we said, okay, we want to do a beta program with this. We want to know who'd be interested. Um, and we can give you, a, I think it was 15% off, nothing huge. Um, so if you could fill out this form, and it wasn't just a yes, I want to um, be part of it. It was a, I remember. Uh, yeah, it was sort of what OS are you running? What yeah. industry are you in? What languages are you working with? What uh, laptops, etc. And once again, thought that maybe we get about a couple hundred, 300, mm -hmm. and we got 6,000. So that was the thing that said, okay, let's make this a real product. You might have heard Barton's name before. He's been around the community for a little while now. My experience with uh, Linux came through Unix, right? Way back in the day, Sony Tokyo had their own uh, Unix distribution, believe it or not. They had Workstation. Uh, and then I, too, was at Sun, and then I managed the relationship with Red Hat, SUSE, Free Software Foundation, uh, in the open source office. And yep. so one of the big things, the Java trap that, that Richard Stallman talked about is that you still had propriety bits. Mm -hmm. And so I worked with the team there to get those out. And then I had to lobby each of the distros, uh, Debian, Ubuntu, OpenSUSE, and Fedora to, to actually get it in. And I remember being down at DebConf, I forget, whatever, in Argentina, and actually sitting with the guys there and, and sort of getting them to, to put it in there. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of where I first started getting to, to know the community and whatnot. Barton's had a key role in getting Project Sputnik rolling, but he's having even a bigger impact on Dell than that. He's, sh he's showing us a path for how to be really personally authentic. Um, he's showing us a path for how to build real relationships with people and um, how to, how to uh, just be human, right? Which is a challenge when you're in a big company. And you can take him up on that offer to engage with the community. One of the things that I like most about the uh, project is direct communication with the community. And some of it's on the blog and the comments or the forums, but the thing I, I like the most is Twitter, right? So, I, and I can't get to all of them, but I, I really enjoy talking with people around the world and being able to, to answer questions. And oftentimes it's, it's throwing those questions over to the technical folks and saying, let me ask the team and, and get back to you. But it's it's really neat to have that one-on-one -on -one direct connection with, with customers, which is it's great for the product, but it's actually something that that I really enjoy too. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, so? What's the best way to get to you on Twitter? Barton eight oh eight eight oh eight area code for Honolulu, Hawaii. <laughs> the Linux Action Show is independent media. Our trip to Dell was made possible by our patrons at Patreon.com/JupiterSignal and our sponsors. Go to DigitalOcean.com and sign up for an account and use our promo code, here's the thing. You apply it and you get a $10 credit. You can spin up a system on their infrastructure in seconds. It's KVM for the virtualizer, Linux for the host system, SSDs for all the IO, 40 gigabit E connections to the hypervisor for bandwidth, data centers all over the world and an interface that nobody can touch. And they have a smooth, great, easy to use API to make it all possible behind the scenes if you want to automate things. And Ting. Go to last.ting.com and vote for your wallet to make mobile make sense. That's what Ting's on a mission to do. They take your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes, whatever you use, and that's what you pay. It's $6 for the line and then your usage, and that's it. It's brilliant because guess what? When I'm at home, I'm on Wi-Fi. When I'm here at work, I'm on Wi-Fi. When I go over to families, I'm on Wi-Fi. I have Wi-Fi all over the place. I treat my wireless network like my backup data line. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Check it out. Go to last.ting.com and save $25 off your first device, or if you have a device that's compatible with Ting, and they have CDMA and GSM networks, 
and by Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. That's linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. It's an extensive, in-depth resource. It's a platform to learn more about Linux and the technologies built around it. From up top, up in the cloud, like Azure, AWS, all that kind of stuff, to down to the nitty-gritties, like working with the file system, the kernel, all the important stuff. From nuggets to entire coursewares and availability planners, they've got something that'll work for you and a community that's stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. You can get it at linuxacademy.com slash unplug, support the show, and sign up for a free seven-day trial. And of course, System76 now proudly offering the Galago Pro up for pre-order, and you can save $50. Go to system76.com and check it out. They also have the Oryx Pro, not for pre-order, but for shipping with the GTX 10 series graphics. Oh, and KB Lake Intel processors. <laughs> Man, these rigs, they are so nice. They also have desktops and servers and swag. Check them out. Go to system76.com and get a machine born, designed, created, and supported to run Linux. And when you buy it, let them know that Noah switched to Linux. With only three episodes left of the Linux Action Show, so many of you have been asking if we're going to do any going away swag. Well, we've done it, and you can find it at teespring.com slash allgoodthings. It's a limited run, a limited edition of the Linux Action Show logo that represents our 11-year run and a bearded version of Tux. Say goodbye in style at teespring.com slash allgoodthings. This concludes our special report on our trip to Dell. <laughs>